you want really good coffee to take on your next adventure, use CS Instant Coffee. You can find out more about them at csinstant.coffee. You know, I definitely challenge any of your listeners to kind of just do something different. If you've had that kind of little niggle in the back of your mind that, oh, maybe I could do this, or, well, I heard that so-and-so did this, and maybe I could have a go, or, oh, I watched that show when that person was doing blah, 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 and it looked really cool. Well, go and do it. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, Today's episode's from 2017. It's with Anna Marie Watson, and she's been on the show before, but uh, this is obviously, you know, a throwback Thursday episode, but this is um, just interviewing her about her life. She served in the British military for about 10 years, and then when she got out, she just didn't want to have a normal life, so she biked across New Zealand, and that just opened the floodgates of adventures for her, and so she's obviously taken a very interesting um, path in life, and there's a lot to learn. She's a great storyteller, great speaker, and obviously a lot of fun to listen to, so I hope you enjoy this episode, and if if you're out there and you, you happen to be on an adventure right now, Uh, We just want to encourage you, whether that's an adventure that's glamorous, like, you know, a through hike or something not so glamorous, but that you would still call an adventure. Maybe you're moving somewhere, changing jobs or or, or going through something that is uh, new and challenging for you. Maybe you have a kid for the first time. I don't know. Just keep going, keep pushing, and it's, it's, you're going to have a story to tell once you get through it. And so, uh, and that's about all we get at the end of this life are stories because, that's exactly what this show is, just a bunch of people's stories. So if, 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 if we have a roll around here. I don't know how much we stick to it, but if it's going to make a good story, we're willing to go through it. Sometimes it sounds like the dumbest thing in the world, but when I look back on my very short life, relatively speaking, the mo- things I'm most proud of are definitely the, the, the stories I have now. So keep going, keep moving forward. You can do it. And I'm talking very quietly right now because our child is asleep in the next room over. And let me tell you, that's definitely been an adventure. (laughs) And Any parents out there know what I'm talking about. But anyway, enjoy this episode and have a great weekend. Make sure you get out there and have some fun, no matter how small it is. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have an ultra athlete, Anna Marie Watson, with us, and she has done so many adventurous and amazing things all around the planet. I'm really excited to hear not just her stories about all of the accomplishments that she has, but also I'm excited to hear about how she can encourage other people to get more active and be involved Um, She is a coach. She spent nine years in the British military where she had several tours that took her around the planet. She has completed the Marathon de Saab and not only completed, but came in as second female, which is amazing. She also has completed eight half Ironmans and has competed at the world level for that. 
Um, she is currently training for the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, which is an ultra race around Mont Blanc, which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And she has her coaching business that we have to talk about. So much to cover. Really excited to have you with us, Anna Marie. Hi, Kurt. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. Oh, you bet. It's our pleasure. Certainly our pleasure. Well, let's start with a backstory. Anna Marie, where did you grow up and how did you get into this crazy world of ultra sports? <laughs> um, I grew up actually in the north of England, in the in the northeast, uh, pretty much near the Scottish border um, in a place called Newcastle. And I kind of appreciate that a lot of Americans might not know where that is. I actually remember visiting America. It must have been when I was a teenager and trying to um, make a call home. And I was speaking to the lady, um, kind of trying to get the dial code basically back to England. And just completely, she it was not on her globe, not on her radar, which <laughs> right. I clearly found quite confusing. But that's England, you know, England kind of... England, United Kingdom, Europe, and no, she 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 was just beyond her. I, I think I gave <laughs> up in the end, to be honest. But yeah, England is kind of quite a small place when you take um, the size of America into perspective, and it does amaze me sometimes where I meet um, Americans and they're kind of traveling and they've literally had to get their passport for like the first time, right. um, because you guys have so much to explore just within your continent, whereas. I mean, I was I was really lucky. Um, my first trip overseas was when I was, I think I was three months old. And my parents took me to Norway. Um, I have to highlight at this point, as a child, I was six six weeks premature. Um, so when I was kind of three months old, my parents took me off to Norway. And there's this picture of me on a glacier in a plastic bag. Um, so I think that probably <laughs> says quite a lot about my upbringing. Um and how I can attribute or blame um, my parents for um, definitely a, a lot um, growing up. But no, I was I was very lucky. And um, my, my parents, um, e- even though kind of growing up in the Northeast, um, and a, a lot of people do have kind of have preconceptions within the UK of like the North South divide and um, the, the opportunity to travel. You know, back in the the eighties when I was growing up was a lot less than it is now. You know, this is kind of pre EasyJet. Um, which is you know, the cheap flights where you can basically hop on and disappear off to various places in Europe for the weekend. Sure. There was absolutely none of that at all. Um, but my parents were very much into kind of travel and holidays, and that was like the big thing. And, you know, everyone spends money on different things, whether it's like, you know, a nice house or a nice car or travel. And my parents were definitely in the travel camp, it has to be said. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So you were raised by adventurous parents who introduced you to this whole world. Then you joined the military and you got to do a lot of crazy stuff there. What was that like? Yeah, the military. I've got I've got a lot to thank for the military. I mean, I left school. I did not have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, but I was very much into the outdoors. I'd been at cadets at school as well. Um, and I was fortunate to be actually sponsored through university. Um, by the Royal Logistics Corps. So I knew that I had a place at Sandhurst, which is the British um, Officer Training College, which you go to for a year. Um, and when I left that, I commissioned at the top. Um, so I kind of had a choice of my postings. And um, I was really lucky to go to um, a unit which did a lot of training with the Marines. So my first job literally straight from training was going to Norway and doing Arctic warfare training. So it's all that good, um, 
I don't know, cutting holes in the ice and jumping in the ice um, and digging snow holes and going out on patrol with your kind of in your white cams, pulling your polk um, and kind of learning how to cross country ski. Cause I, even though I've downhill skied, I'd never cross country skied right. and they have these massive big skis. Like I'm, I'm in tiny, I'm tiny and I'm apps. I'm a midget and um, standing at um, like five foot, nothing basically. And they had two <laughs> sizes of skis made out of wood, which, they were massive or like massive. So I, you know, I have these kind of images of me kind of tiny with this big rucksack, that's a big bergen that was just, just as big as me kind of pulling this polk, which is basically like a sledge that attaches around your waist with these massive big wooden skis. And, oh, and, and with my soldiers as well, a lot of them were learning to ski for the first time as well. Um, and their coordination at times was, um, limited and i just have visions of them kind of like skiing off randomly into trees and you know when you're in really deep snow and you can't quite push yourself back up and you're a little bit like a an upside down turtle so to speak just completely floundering um but i mean as a first posting that was absolutely um absolutely amazing and i you know i learned a lot you know as a young 21 year old out there with a troop of 25 guys um i was the only female within um my unit which you know in itself is um, an interesting challenge to kind of overcome, but you know, I was very much adopted by my my sergeants, and they took me under their wing, and I was known as Mini Mom. Kind of another reference <laughs> back to my my height, it has to be said. With that kind of an introduction to cross country skiing, did you hate it or did you learn to love it? Um, there's there's very much a difference cross country skiing with a bergen and a polk to cross country skiing. <laughs> right. Um, and I have to say, since then, I've more favor the downhill side of things um i'm yeah i'm very lucky um my family has an apartment in the french alps um so christmas and new years have very much been kind of spent out there on the slopes and it's it's kind of like the one place that we kind of get together as a family you know growing up in newcastle um and then we've had this apartment since 2000 and it was okay so where do i want to spend my leave from the military i can go back to newcastle um, or I can go to the French Alps. Hmm. Difficult choice. I think it'll be the French Alps. Thank you very much. Well, they both sound wonderful to me, you know. <laughs> so you were in the British military in the army for nine years. And yeah, after no. that, then what happened? So I spent nine years. I had a range of jobs. I kind of, I did do three operational tours to an Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And I got to the nine-year point, and it would have been so easy to stay. I basically had a commission, and I could have stayed until I was fifty-five. And I kind of, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was, I was literally, I was about to hit thirty, and I was like, it's the easy option to stay. And I've never really been one to take the easy option. Um, and the potential was, I probably would have had to go on tour again. I also was about to potentially promote to major, which means you basically go and do an eight-month leadership course. And it's very much based on infantry doctrine and tactics and strategy, which I had absolutely no interest in whatsoever. Mm. Um, so I thought, actually, it's, it's time to go. I, st- I still really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, and for part of that, you know, I'd been very much living within an institution, you know, school, university, the army. And I just, I just want to get away. So I kind of gave myself a year off. Um, it was a little bit indulgent. I had 
by this point I'd got my mountain leader qualifications so you know I can take groups um away so I lined up you know a couple of expeditions within that year because the thought is really you know drifting around the world and not having a focus or not having a challenge into PR I wanted to give it a bit of structure um and just make just make it kind of just kind of see the place I didn't want to just kind of end up doing the whole I don't know drinking having just left school 18 um I don't think you really get a feel of the country that way um so I've actually been to um the Kendall Mountain Film Festival which is up in the Lake District and there was a guy called Mark Beaumont um doing a talk there who had basically cycled around the world and I was just like wow that is amazing cycling around the world it's like if he can cycle down the world, I'm sure I can cycle across something or down something or, or something. So this kind of, I was I then went to Kenya with the military and I was taking um, guiding basically at Mount Kenya. Um, and during that time, the plan kind of formulated. It's like, right, okay, I've never been to New Zealand. Um, let's, let's go to New Zealand. Okay, what am I going to do in New Zealand? But I don't want to take a bus and just kind of travel down the country. That's, you know, that's just a bit boring, kind of being sat all day. And I'll just end up basically drinking in youth hostels and meeting people. And no, it needs to be more of a challenge. I want to kind of meet local people. Um, so I was like, I could cycle down New Zealand. And kind of have to remember that at this point, my cycling career was, I didn't, I think I owned a bike that I'd maybe had when I was a teenager that was still sat in the garage. Right. Um, the whole concept of getting a bike, getting the panniers, you know, buying a tent, doing it just like literally. So I remember, I think I was Googling kind of getting how to hire a bike in Auckland to then drop it off at the other end of New Zealand. Um, and I put the measurements in and unbeknownst to me, I, co- I put completely the wrong measurements in. This is kind of linking back to that. I'm a bit of a small midget. And the measurements <laughs> that I put in was actually for like a massive, really tall person. So I then disappeared off into the outback in, in Kenya because I was taking people up and down my Kenya and internet connection. Clearly there isn't any. So I kind of came back to an email from my mate um, in back in Newcastle. She's like, I had an email from a bike shop because I'd put her down as a con- point of contact while I was away. I've had an email from this guy just kind of double checking these measurements because he either thinks that you've got them wrong or you're like an absolute giant. I was like, ah, OK. So luckily, I mean, I could have rocked up and had this bike that would have just been completely the wrong size and just wouldn't have worked. And it was basically being shipped from one end of the country to the other. Um, So thankfully, that didn't quite happen. But even so, I remember going and picking the bike up from this bike shop in Auckland, and I had to kind of psych myself up outside the bike shop because I I, I didn't even know how to change a tyre at that point. Mm. But I didn't want to look like a total novice because they would have just thought I was completely stupid thinking that I could cycle basically down New Zealand. So it was kind of this bit of active bravado. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a parallel experience when I recently uh, rented a, a large uh, street motorcycle. And I've spent many, many years motorcycling on the dirt. But to be on a, a large street bike was kind of new to me. And so when I, I rented the bike, I had to do the same thing. Just kind of, well, uh, yeah, I know what this is. Where's first? <laughs> is that the clutch? Mm. <laughs> so okay. I, I kind of get what you're coming from or where you're coming from there. But what a, an amazing thing to do. So you you leave the military and you say, I'm just going to bike the length of New Zealand. And it's just a way to experience life on a whole different level. So what did that do for you? 
Yeah, it, it was. It was a total, it was kind of the beginning of the transition. And, you know, leaving the military, and I look back now, I've been out for seven years. And, you know, I've, I've changed a lot since then. And I've achieved a lot since then. But this was this was like the starting point and I I really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do and I was also kind of I just hit 30 as well and I was quite conscious that within I don't know the western society my perception was you know as a female hitting 30 oh it's a bit of a I don't know a bit of a landmark and a lot of my friends you know were getting married having kids and I was basically leaving my um permanent job um leaving my boyfriend, loose boyfriend term of the time, and basically disappearing to the other side of the planet. So I was kind of, this is a bit, this isn't the norm. I'm a little bit unusual. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do when I come back. Um, and it kind of even linked to, you know, my, my, my brother, who's three years younger than me, he was very much doing the kind of the very sensible getting, settling down, buying a house in Jersey, stable job within the kind of the corporate finance world. And then there was me kind of going, okay, I've been in the army for nine years. And now what? Um, I don't know, but I've got some money saved up and I'm going traveling um, and I'm going to go and cycle. Yeah. So okay. you did this cycling in New <laughs> Zealand. Was that um, solo by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So this is by myself. Um, I had, I kind of, because I've been really lucky to kind of live and work in various parts of the world, I do kind of have contacts all over the world. So I kind of, there was a girl I knew from school who lived in Auckland. So I kind of went and crashed at hers. And there was a guy I did, um, I met during the Everest marathon who lived, um, out on North Island. So I kind of, I was like, Oh, I can pass through there. I can crash for the night. I can pass through there. It saves me camping for a night. But other than that, it was just me. And the route was a little bit, well, I'll just kind of head South. Um, I had this roadmap which, yeah, the roadmap was, it, it, well, I just kind of like headed for the next town. It was all, it, I mean, there wasn't really much of a plan, to be honest. Um, it sounds perfect. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, I kind of knew I wanted to go and like see the hot springs and I want to go to Marlborough and drink the, you know, the Sauvignon Blanc. So there was kind of certain things I kind of had kind of ticked off in my mind but you know a lot of time I was just kind of camping in the local campsites and you know I remember one morning waking up and it was one of those mornings where it literally had rained all night and you've got that prospect of taking down a wet tent which is always just a little bit of crap um and I must have been looking a bit sorry for myself because the people next door had a big camper van and they invited me in for kind of bacon sandwiches and cups of tea and you know I got <laughs> chatting to them about their life which that's kind of what it's all about I didn't really want to be in a youth hostel with a bunch of people who were probably, you know, kind of eight years younger than me who just left, just left school, I kind of wanted to get out and about and meet other people. And I remember meeting one guy. Um, I, I, I literally cycled the entire time on my, for the entire trip other than one day. So I met, I met, I met this guy who he was going to a wedding and he just basically decided to rather than drive there. And it was going to take him a good week to cycle to this wedding. Um, so I kind of bumped to him, to him on the trail, and we were going through this, I can't remember what the name of the place is now, but there's basically this massive big canyon, and it's got a flying fox over it, you know, one of the kind of the rope aerial runway, rope aerial rope things. Okay. Um, and we were like, oh, that looks really, really cool. But I should go and check it out, go and check it out. And then really randomly, this is just the way the world works, he was actually at school with the guy who was running it. So the guy was like, oh, do you want to have a go? We're like, 
yeah, brilliant. So, you know, you, you kind of randomly bump into a guy who knows the guy, the, who, the manager, and then you get a free go on the flying fro- fox. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much. So that was, that was really great. And then we set off and we kind of earmarked this, like, basically this one um, rest stop. Um, which we're like, okay, we know there's a store there, we can get food. So we kind of set off and we got there and it was, I remember in the window, there was a little note kind of going, um, sorry, we're closed for the, for the night and we've gone to visit family in the next town. And we're like, well, we can't get to the next town because it's another, you know, 20 miles down the road. Um, looks like we're camping by the side of the road tonight. Okay. What food have you got? So literally we were like pulling, I think I had like an emergency can of beans or something. And he <laughs> had, I don't know, some like Snickers bar or something. And I had a tea bag. It's like, right, okay, that's dinner and breakfast combined. Okay, brilliant. Well, isn't that just the fun of it though? When you when you take off and you experience something new and you get you get to that awkward moment where things aren't quite right, but you make the best of the situation. And that's where the memories come from. Mm. that's the thing you just you just don't know and I remember then the next morning we got up and we cycled that 20 miles to the next place and there was a like a a fish bait stop um, shop there that did these kind of like fritters of of fish and I remember having one of those in a sandwich and it was just like the best thing ever (laughs) um but if we hadn't been through that experience together and then kind of stumbled across this little fish shop which did these most amazing kind of fresh fish sandwich things um, you just, yeah, you just don't know what is going to be around the next corner sometimes. Sure. Well, I'd like to highlight a couple of things for you to comment on. One of the things that you said early on is that you were surprised to see so many Americans who are getting a passport for the first time because there's so much travel that can be done within the U.S. Not everybody leaves, right? That was mm. one point. Another point is that you decided to try something new and New Zealand sounded good and you decided you should cycle because that sounded good even though you didn't have the experience or the training necessarily. And you decided to do it as a female. And I have to point out as not a big female, a five-foot female, (laughs) right? Alone. So the reason I point all of that out is because I want our listeners to hear from you what it's like to be a a lady who says, I'm going to go travel alone. And I'm going to try something new alone that I've never done before and uh, maybe encourage them to be a little bit more adventurous too. Mm. And I don't know, there is the kind of that balance of kind of being sensible because as a female, there there are kind of, you don't want to put yourself in situations where you you can have to kind of get a bit of a balance sometimes. And I know for me in my head, New Zealand was... And it's all a matter of perception, to be honest. New Zealand was safe. You know, they, they speak English. Um, I don't have to kind of go through the whole translation thing. Um, I think at that point, the decision of, you know, maybe like cycling through Southeast Asia, for example, that probably would have been a step too far for me. So this was, it was a challenge, but it was within the parameters that I was comfortable with. Um, and I think sometimes it's having a bit of a self-awareness of kind of what your kind of abilities are at a certain extent. So you're not putting yourself in danger. And I'm kind of coming at this very much from like my mountain leader head where, you know, within the UK, you do kind of get some people heading off into the wilds and they haven't like prepared at all. They haven't got any like a first aid kit or waterproofs or 
like anything and then they kind of get themselves in danger and then ultimately the people who have to come and rescue them put themselves in danger as well so I do very much support people kind of getting out there and having your adventure but there is also a kind of you know do kind of be sensible to a point um, not that I'm really one if I want to say having just talked about my kind of New Zealand adventure um but the, the, there is kind of a fine line um and, you know, I always encourage people when they're kind of, you know, if you're going out and you're going to be doing something, you know, let somebody kind of know where you're going or when you're kind of going to be coming back. Um, just so the safety side of things is kind of taken into consideration. So I'm kind of putting like a little caveat there. Um, but that's not an excuse by any means to kind of not go out and do stuff. Time for a quick message break. CS Instant Coffee is definitely the best instant coffee I've ever had. In fact, just out of convenience and how good it tastes, I decided for the last year I've been taking it on every single adventure I go on from backpacking to bike tours. Uh, just from convenience sake, it's really high quality and it keeps me from having to take a bunch of other equipment out in the woods. Uh, but it's not just for going out on adventures. My wife actually takes some to work every single day with her. She takes a couple packs uh, to refill her coffee mug uh, as a teacher. She doesn't have a ton of time to um, have to you know make fresh coffee all the time so she just needs a little hot water can pour the coffee in and she's ready to go for her next class and not waste a lot of time so if you're crunched for time in your job uh, i would definitely suggest giving it a shot because they have been huge supporters of the show for the last year and i really appreciate everything they've done for us and it would mean a lot to me to go support them so if you're interested go to csinstant.coffee and uh, support those who are supporting the show it would go a long way Thank you. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I think it's wonderful when people take that step. And I have to point out, I think that all of your years in the military and having been around the planet and been in all sorts of different challenging situations in many different cultures probably gave you the experience and, and some courage, right? I guess the point I'm trying to make just is that I think people should chase their dreams and not allow their fears to get in the way. And you're an example of how that can be done. It, very much so. Very much so. It, it's kind of like it's setting yourself up and just sitting on the couch, I don't know, day in, day out and kind of going through your routine, which people kind of do get into habits. Um, and, you know, weeks go by, months go by, years go by. And I don't know, sometimes nothing really happens. Um, so it's kind of what case of what is that dream? And even if it's just doing something like little different, that little things and little things consistently over time come to big things. Um, and I know that I kind of look at what I've, some of the adventures that I've been on and some of the races that I've done, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Um, you know, very much I can attribute it back to my kind of my childhood. Um, but it's also the mentality that I have now and it's the decisions that I make, you know, it's an active decision. You know, even for example, this morning, um I had a training session to do the weather wasn't that great um it was kind of three hours out on the trail um it would have been so easy to just kind of sit on the couch and do some work but I was like no get out there and do that and once you kind of get out there you know you always come back enjoying it you kind of you know you get the endorphins and um you come back and you're like yeah that was a good session I'm so glad that I do that so you know I definitely challenge um any of your listeners to kind of just do something different if you've had that kind of little niggle in the back of your mind that oh maybe I could do this or 
well, I heard that so-and-so did this and maybe I could have a go. Or, oh, I watched that show and that person was doing blah, 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 and it looked really cool. Well, kind of go and do it. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. So, Anna-Marie, let's talk a little bit more about some of the things that you've done since then. You've done so many ultra races. And, you know, if you would like to list a few, I'll just let you list them off because I don't have them all written (laughs) down here. But we talked about your your half Ironmans, which are also known as uh, what is seventy point two, seventy point threes, right? Seventy point threes of the marathon de Saab, which is amazing. That's like doing a marathon a day through the desert for seven days. So tell us about all of this. This is quite the <laughs> portfolio. Mm. And I, I do. I'm a little bit unusual because a lot of the time, trail runners are kind of like trail runners, and they're pure trail runners. That's all they do. Um, Whereas I kind of do dip into the whole triathlon world, but also adventure racing as well. So I'll kind of start off with some of the running that I've done first, because running has kind of been my constant. Um, and, you know, very much I started, I had never done a marathon until 2004. Um, it wasn't, I just kind of like jumped in overnight and did like a hundred miler. I very much kind of built up getting, you know, the London Marathon, the Edinburgh Marathon. Then I was like, oh, I'll go and do the Everest Marathon. That sounds cool. Um, I did the, my first ultra was the Dead Sea Ultra. And with this, I kind of justified it that it was 50 kilometers because, you know, an ultra is anything over 50 kilometers. So, you know, it was, I knew I could do a marathon. And the thing is with the Dead Sea Ultra as well is that it's all downhill. Um, mm. so you start in a mam, um, in Jordan, then finish up by the Dead Sea. And I kind of thought it was quite cool to finish by the Dead Sea. And, um, I'd, I was actually working in Abu Dhabi at the time. And we, I went over with a group of friends. And we booked ourselves into the Kapinski for the night, you know, very nice hotel for one night, totally treat yourself. And then I was like, then I can go and float in the Dead Sea. How cool is that? So in a way, a lot of my races are kind of a bit of an excuse to travel, to be honest. And I kind of, you know, it's with friends. Um, I get to see the world. Um, so that's kind of what it's all about. So that was my first ultra. Um, and then I did the CCC, which is the Kumaya Champex Chamonix, which links into the Ultra de Mont Blanc, which you mentioned during the introduction. Um, so that was like a 98-kilometer one with 6,000 meters of ascent in 24 hours. And that was a tough one. That was kind of standing at the start line there. I was not 100% convinced I was going to get all the way around. I was going to give it my best shot. Um, but it was definitely the toughest race that I'd done at that time. Um, and a lot of people kind of dropped out on the day. Um, and that is, is with some of the ultra runners, actually the kind of the attrition rate um, can be kind of quite high because they, they are, they are tough. They are a challenge. Um, so that's within Europe. Then I, I lived in Sydney for a while. I did the, um, the North face 100 in the blue mountains, um, which the, the, um, the three sisters there is a, an amazing, um, landmark. I remember there's a ladder that goes off the back. So I think you'd kind of maybe done about, I don't know, 70 kilometers. Then you have to kind of climb down this really, really steep ladder. And it's, for me, the timings wise, it was beginning to get dark. Um, and I always find that time when you're kind of ultra running, when it kind of, when it kind of goes from day to night or night to day, it's, I find it an absolutely magical part um, of, of the day, the way that kind of like the light fades or the kind of the light kind of comes up. And particularly if you get a sunset as well, that can be absolutely beautiful. Um, so that was in Sydney and then I did one last year. I've done, I've done a few multi-days as well, kind of within the UK and they're kind of, they're a bit different. The whole kind of the way that multi-days are constructed around kind of the, the one day, you know, you're out for, I know, a hundred miles. 
um, or 100k. So my first 100 miles was actually back up in Newcastle. Um, it kind of came down the coastline um, of the northeast, which it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, and you're running along all the beaches and there's a lot of castles as well in the northeast. Um, and just for some of your American listeners, um, you know, between the border between England and Scotland, kind of going back to medieval times, there was a lot of castles built. So you're kind of running past these you know, tumble down castles, um, which is, I don't know, it just adds that kind of additional historic cultural element to the race. Um, so that was, um, that was a tough race, um, particularly at night and it wasn't particularly well marked. Um, and it was quite boggy. Um, so I was very, (laughs) I was pleased to finish that after kind of wading through all this mud. Um, and my most recent one was in Turkey, actually in central Turkey, uh, last year I was sponsored by the Ultra Trail World Tour, um, who are an organization, um, and they, they have like a lot of the big name, um, ultra, ultra races, um, about like, you know, Western States and the Marathon Sabre and the UTMB. But they also have future series races as well, which are in kind of slightly more unusual places and they're trying to promote them. Um, so I was fortunate to be sponsored to go out there, um, to Cappadocia which has this most amazing um, rock formations. They're called fairy chimneys. And going back in time, a lot of people used to live in the rocks and live in caves as well. So there's all these kind of houses and windows and doors that have been hollowed out of the the rocks there. And it's it's a really very beautiful place. The next morning we we ended up in a, um, a balloon ride as well. And you could kind of see the route of, where the race had gone, kind of snaking along um, this most amazing kind of escarpment. Um, so, yeah, very, really beautiful. If anyone's kind of in Turkey, you're looking for like a, a little, a different race, the, the Cappadocia. And they've also got kind of a 60K version and a 30K version as well, which I do kind of quite like with races when they kind of have like a different series. So if you're doing it with friends as well, you know, I can always go along and do like the stupid long one. And then my friends um, who might just be getting into races can do like the shorter versions. Well, I am so amazed at not only all the things that you've done, but the way that you incorporate these races into the concept of travel and the scenery and in the experience. So for you, it's not about the distance, um, and you're very competitive, but it sounds like it's it's more about the overall experience than it is about winning and losing even. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and even doing some of... Um, like my triathlon races, for example, um, we did one um, one of the Ironman 70.3s in Aix-en-Provence down in the south of France. And I came back and I was talking to my husband. He races as well. And I was just like, oh, wow, did you see the views? They were absolutely stunning. And he was like, what views? I was like, no, 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 no. He goes, when you're racing, you should be looking at the tarmac in front of you. I'm like, no. No, 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 we're gonna we're gonna have to differ on this one. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> I love and... it though. Yeah, I love the idea that it can be about the overall experience and about what you see along the way, and and that makes it even more appealing. Um, mm. What advice do you have for people who are like, I, I I love this concept, but I don't know how to start. I don't know how to get started running, much less running marathons and ultras. I mean, it's it's kind of a gradual process, and I always kind of link it back to that. If you don't know where to start, ask somebody, and kind of reach out. Whether that's within like a running club or having like a look online, you know, I I kind of remember when I kind of first started as well. 
it, you know, the whole concept of doing like a hundred mile race, I just, I didn't even entertain it. I thought people who did that were utterly bonkers. Um, but if you kind of ensure it is about asking for help, asking questions. And I don't know, I always kind of think if, if, if someone asks me for help, you know, you, you, you kind of, you want to share your experience or your kind of knowledge and support them and encourage them. And yeah, I've had some friends who, they've got them you know got into triathlon and I'm so inspired by people who you know they might not be able to swim and they've taught themselves in their 30s for example how to swim or they've kind of never ridden a bike and they've got themselves on a bike and they've started off small so you know within the triathlon world they might have done like a sprint and then built up to an olympic and I've got one friend at the moment who's training for a 70.3 and she just got herself a coach a month ago and she's finding that you know having the structure having the consistency is just giving her that extra lift and the results that she's seeing and it's amazing what you can achieve when you kind of put your mind to it um and never be afraid to ask for help um everybody that i've met within kind of the sporting ultra running community particularly is just so friendly and so willing so willing to help i do i do find sometimes within the triathlon world um with the, the whole kind of the bikes and the bling and it can get a little bit more kind of I don't know, competitive form of, but even, you know, within the compact in, within the triathlon worlds, I'd say the majority of people are just, you know, super helpful and just want to help. You know, that's one of my favorite things about adventure sports. It's the, the sense of community that develops when people share a common interest and they go do fun stuff together. Mm. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful excuse to make wonderful friends. Yeah. And the kind of, actually, the sense of achievement. It's like, even for, it was my birthday back in February. And because I've lived abroad for a while, I've not like had a birthday a gathering or party or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I was kind of back in the country. I was like, I just really want to get some of my friends together. I was like, okay. I was like, oh, there's a duathlon on. Okay. So there's like a racetrack near us and um, the Castle Coombe racetrack. Um, and there was a duathlon, which, you know, it was a short one. It was what, like a 3K run, 16K bike, 3K run. And I got kind of a group of my friends together, some I've not seen in a while, and some of who had, you know, never done a duathlon in their life. But, you know, for my birthday celebrations, they were like, oh, well, we knew you weren't going to have like a normal just get together and have a meal <laughs> or something. Um, but no, since then, you know, one of the girls, she's like, oh, um, I'm doing a triathlon. You know, I've not done one in eight years. She's just had a, just had a baby. And for her, you know, getting back on the bike and, just it's given us such a lift um and such a boost boost of confidence as well um so it is amazing kind of what sport and adventure can do and you get that kind of confidence you get that boost and then actually that ripples across your entire life to you know your relationships to work um and you just kind of start i don't know challenging yourself a little bit more oh that's wonderful so tell us a story if you would about a time that things did not go right you can pick the race and the location but I love to hear how when things went wrong and how they turned out for the best in the end. Um, but this one, I kind of I liken it back to I think the marathon Saab. I had a day a day then, and kind of just sharing a little bit about the marathon de Saab. It's in the Sahara Desert, um, and I did it two years ago. It's been it was the 30th anniversary, um, and it's this crazy race. It was invented by Patrick Bauer, who's this French guy who basically took himself off and walked through the Sahara Desert and just found it such an amazing experience. He thought that he had to devise a race to share it with 
you know, as many people as possible. And it is, you know, it's grown astronomically. There's, I think there was, what, 16, 1700 people who did it when I did it. Um, and you're basically, it's completely self-sufficient. So you're carrying kind of all your food. Um, there's a kind of a list of medical kit that you have to take with you in safety kit. And you do get provided with a tent at the end of the day, but it's more of a blanket held up twigs and it's very windy <laughs> so it tends to collapse and there's just sand everywhere to be honest um so you you get rationed water so it's not that you have to kind of carry your water for the entire seven days you get like a daily ration um and then kind of checkpoints along the way as well and um, you get you know you, ha- you like basically have like a token system so then you kind of pound your token in and you get like some water back um and it was on the long day which was 94 kilometers the the route changes every year Patrick Bauer he kind of he likes to kind of keep it like a little bit of a surprise so you're not kind of quite sure what the route is going to be until you arrive and you get the the road map um and it's it's normally held within kind of the same area but you know the distances um change every year and the, the exact route changes every year as well so I think ours was, it was the longest long day that they'd ever had. And I, I basically ran out of water in between one of the checkpoints. And, you know, it's 40 degrees heat. And I knew I had another couple of K to go. And I, I do drink kind of quite a lot of water, just the way that my body kind of processes and keep, hydrates itself. And it was just one of those, I remember going up this um, kind of really kind of small valley and it was just relentless. There was no wind at all. The sun was absolutely beating down. And you know when you feel your mouth just getting more and more and more parched? And I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And it's kind of, if you if you kind of you run out of water, you ask another competitor for help, it's kind of completely, you know, you get penalty points and the like. And I was just like, mm. no, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. And it, it was, it, it, it's, it kind of comes to play that actually, mentally how strong are you um it's a lot of time you kind of talk yourself in or out of anything and it's just having that kind of focused determination okay now one foot in front of the other you can make it and you know I had my map out I was studying the distances I was calculating how long it was going to take me to get there um and I remember kind of coming down this massive big sand dune and I could see the checkpoint it was about it was about a couple of k away and I was like, no, I can, I can, I can get there, I can get there. Okay, right, look, keep going, keep going, keep going. But it, you know, it, it is. It's kind of when in these races, you know, you put yourselves in these kind of quite kind of stressful situations. You know, you're putting a lot of stress on your body by racing. Um, and you know, by that day, it was day four, so I'd been racing, you know, three three other days and yes you kind of have a little bit of time overnight to recover but you know you're sleeping in this well blankets tent and you're not kind of consuming enough calories to replace what you're losing so you're you know you can in a way your body is it's kind of it's degrading um but yeah no, I, I reached that um checkpoint and the water did taste like liquid gold it was um <laughs> very very refreshing and the water bottles got topped up massively and water tipped over my head um and then, yeah, I set off again. But that, within like a racing context, that was where I kind of miscalculated. Um, and, you know, normally when I'm racing, I'm very, very detailed with nutrition, with, you know, with, within the marathon disorder as well. It's your salt intake as well. You need to make sure that you're kind of taking salt tablets. Um, 
and food wise as well so I do particularly if I'm doing like the longer races because I kind of I do try to focus because if you kind of drift off then your energy can dip and then getting yourself out of that um that could be kind of make or break particularly you know there's certain races that I focus on like as an a race um and you know I want to be doing my best um, so you don't want anything like that to kind of trip you up, so to speak, because, you know, it can cost you. Wow. There's so much to this. And, you know, we could do a complete show on any one of your events, I'm sure. And maybe we should. Maybe we should get you back on <laughs> and just drill down to just one. But I love this overview and the lifestyle that you've described for us. It's really brilliant. Really, really neat. So tell us a little mm. bit about your coaching business. So my coaching business, um, Reach for More. Um is all about performance coaching um so i very much work with kind of individual clients and organizations as well ultimately to support the performance of their individuals so they kind of you know can unlock and unleash their true potential um and my clients they kind of they have like a range of areas that i support them in um i've got a couple of themes at the moment one of which is kind of around leadership um so i've got a kind of a few individuals who They've, they've very much been put into like leadership positions and it's exploring ideas around leadership. You know, who is the authentic leader within? How are they going to manage their teams? Um, so that's kind of one side. Then the other is people going through kind of like a transition of some sort, be that moving, be that career wise, or be that, you know, they may be in a job and they just kind of, it's, they, they, they kind of in the past, they really, really wanted this job or they really, really wanted this position. And now that they're kind of there, they're a bit like, Oh, is that it? Mm. Actually, maybe this isn't the right fit. Okay, so what do I want? Um, and then I kind of work with clients like that to kind of basically forage your way forwards. Um, so the linking kind of to my sports side of things, um, I mean, I do have some clients I work with who kind of come to me from a sports basis, and it's how to support them with strategies kind of mindset-wise, like the mental side of things. Because ultimately, you know, when you're racing – it's it's often it's the mental side of things that kind of puts a bit of a halt or puts a bit of a, a stepping stone kind of like block in the way. So it's kind of working with different kind of race strategies, different visualization, different goals. Sometimes it's just an element of kind of an accountability. So, you know, sometimes I attract clients because they, they kind of get the fact that I'm racing in these ultra races and these triathlons and they do as well. So there's, there is that kind of synergy there. But then other times I have clients who they just kind of they just don't even know. It's just not even part of the picture, which, you know, it's absolutely fine. Because ultimately, when I'm working with a client, it's all about how can I support them? And um, it's not about me. That's not the whole point of the kind of the coaching process. So it's a, how can I use my experience? How can I use my skills ultimately to support them to achieve what they want? And if they don't know what it is, then, OK, so how can we figure it out together? Right. And so that's Reach for More. And yes. the website is RFM, as in Mary, right? For more, RFMcoaching.com. Yep, that's right. Yes. So if people want to learn more about your coaching, is that the best way to get in touch with you to go through the website? Yes. So um, I'm, there's this website, um, or just drop me an email, uh, which is Anna at RFMcoaching.com. Um, I'm also quite active on Twitter. Um, so I'm just kind of there sharing elements of my life and it's kind of a two prong. There's, there's stuff about coaching. Um, but there's also stuff about kind of what training I'm doing, what events have I got coming up and sometimes just kind of touching on um, nutrition as well. And 
there's often the odd kind of coffee, um, decent coffee shop thrown in there as well. Can't beat a decent cup of coffee, it has to be said. And dark, and, and dark chocolate as well. I've got a little bit of a, a, a passion for dark chocolate. Um, so it, it just kind of, you know, it's just it's just kind of a little bit of a flavor of my life. Um, and kind of, yeah, the latest travels as well. But that's, you know, this is how I've kind of created my life. Um, it, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, the training, the amount of time that it takes, but then also running a business as well. Um, I think if I knew how much work a business encompassed um, and actually everything that kind of goes on behind the coaching, just as any business owner will know, it you know, it's it's not a nine to five. And I wouldn't want to have a nine to five. I don't, the whole thought of having a nine to five job just fills me kind of it makes me shiver. Um, but, you know, there, there will be some nights where I'm kind of sat going through my accounts and it's eight o'clock at night. And I'm just like, well, what 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 are you doing? <laughs> um but then, you know, I'll have been out for a run during the day or something. So it's it's about a balance. But to me, you know, how how do you want to construct your life? And, you know, I love what I do. Oh, that's neat. Let's talk a little bit about your walking and talking. I saw that on your mm. site and I thought, well, that's a that's a kind of novel approach. So what is walking and talking? So walking and talking is rather than having coaching sessions in some coffee shop or kind of loitering in a hotel lobby or in someone's office which is just the worst place um it's about getting outside um and I don't know it's for me it just seems like a really obvious concept um I just you know I love being outdoors I remember being sat in school looking out the window waiting for the bell to ring so I could get outdoors it's kind of like it's my natural habitat and actually there's a lot of people out there as well who enjoy being outside and as human beings in the 21st century we spend so much time inside and if you look at the statistics of the amount of time people spend sat down or sleeping you know sometimes between those two it's up to 20 hours a day maybe more um so was it like sitting is the new smoking so Mm. it's kind of that part of the bigger holistic well-being approach it's like look it's coaching it's got all the the usual aspects of performance coaching but rather than kind of being sat having a conversation it's about getting outside and actually I find that once you get outside with a client it's a lot easier to kind of build rapport you kind of slip into a really kind of natural pace walking alongside somebody is very different from having a conversation like opposite or sat next to each other and you've also kind of got that that movement you know the blood is starting to move around the body the brain just starts that mental alertness and it's kind of picking up on the surroundings as well and actually just kind of having inspiration from and you're walking through greenery it just it just lifts you and you can go into the whole kind of neuroscience behind it as well but just you know just from experience I've seen that the 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 kind of the changes and the outcomes that my clients get it just seems to happen. It just facilitates the coaching so much more. I, you know, for example, yesterday I was in um, I was in London, and I have kind of a, a few routes that I kind of know along the River Thames, for example. So I'll meet a client um, from their office, and then we'll just head out for a walk for an hour. So rather than someone being kind of sat at their desk for twelve hours, and there's no way that you can maintain your performance and be productive at work for you know, 12 hours behind a screen. It just doesn't happen. So if I meet a client for a session at work, for example, during lunch, and then they'll go back 
to the office afterwards yes we've had our coaching conversation and they've got a lot out of that and you know areas to work on moving forwards but also they'll go back refreshed having been outside to kind of be a lot more productive in the afternoon so it's kind of like a it's a double triple quadruple win-win situation um yeah I, I love the approach I have utilized that myself when I have a a conversation that I need to have with somebody. I think it's so much more effective to be walking together. It kind of joins your um, joins your psyche in a, in a parallel way instead of facing each other, right? Especially um. if it's a difficult conversation. There's something wonderful about just being able to take a stroll that opens yeah. up that communication. So I thought that was a very novel approach. I love that, that you have incorporated that into your coaching. Very, very neat. I know, and I, I'm a member of the, um, the International Coach Federation, which is the, um, the largest professional coaching association in the world. And last year I wrote an article for them about, um, walking and talking coaching. Cause even within the coaching sphere, there are a few coaches that walk and talk, but not many. So in a way, this is, it's kind of like a two prong challenge here, like for your listeners. You know, at work, you know, get outside at lunchtime and step away from the screen um, because people don't even have lunchtimes anymore. It just kind of all gets sucked up kind of thing. So if you're just in a normal desk job, get outside. And then if there are any other coaches who are listening to this by chance, try walking and talking with your clients maybe test it out on a friend or something first because it is a little bit different there are some of the kind of the skills and um other side of things that you kind of want to work through but i'm very much very passionate about actually let's get outside and just kind of getting back to nature rather than shutting ourselves off and spending far too much time in front of screens oh yeah absolutely so, Anna, believe it or not, we have already burned through our time, but if you would just share with us to close things out here, something that would inspire the person who's like, oh, this sounds wonderful, but I don't even know where to start. I've been so sedentary for so long. I know I need to change that. Um, inspire us. Where do, where do we go? <laughs> where do we start? Where do you start? You start. Okay. So it's, it's by having a look and going, okay, have I got a pair of trainers or kind of something that will support my feet and get outside? And it's about digging them out, dusting them off. Um, if you haven't got a pair, maybe invest in a pair, but don't like go and buy a massive, expensive, fungal, technical kind of side of things. And then just get outside, open the front door and take a step and if you've kind of been doing that default setting, you know, driving around the corner to work or dropping the kids off at school and it's like so close, maybe kind of walk there or scooter there or bike there or just do something different, which is active. Rather than kind of coming home and slumping in front of the TV, maybe arrange to meet a friend and go for a walk. Um, so kind of just do it step by step. And don't just do it once, do it twice. It's that consistency and build it into a habit, uh, which does take time. And there will be days when you really just want to curl up on the sofa and do nothing. But kind of have those trainers in an obvious place. So they're kind of there winking at you um, and you can't ignore them. And don't do it alone. Get a friend. And 
if you haven't got anyone who's interested, you know, drag a friend along or don't go and find a group. Um, and this is, you know, the internet does come in so handy. There are so many support groups out there um, and so many podcasts like this that, you know, go back and listen to kind of back episodes, get all the stories that other people have been sharing and then find a group within your local area. There'll be a running club or a cycling club. There will be like-minded people out there. Hunt them out and then start creating your stories. And then you can start sharing your stories and inspiring others as well. So it is very much that ripple effect. I know that I kind of look across my life and some of the absolutely bonkers, crazy races that I've done. But I didn't start that way. It started off doing, you know, the first 10K, the first half marathon, the first marathon. And once you kind of achieve that, I don't know, I got a bit of a buzz from it. And it's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it. Mm, Good words. And thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your sharing your experiences and your coaching and your inspiration. And we wish you all the best with Reach for More and all of your endeavors. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. It's been a real delight and spending time talking to you. Well, it's our pleasure, and we will have to have you back on again. (laughs) Thanks, Anna Marie. I would would love that. (laughs) All right, take care. And for all of our listeners out there, as always, remember, get out there, make it fun, have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.